For those of us who think there are no heroes any longer, I just went and sat outside for a moment and saw Batman sprinting across our lawn. <laughs> Have hope, people. Today I'm introducing a new part of our service. Seeing how it goes today, maybe we'll make it a regular part of our service. You see this number up here, down on the corner, 215-913-9989. That is my phone number. We're going to call this, fittingly, text message. The opportunity you will have to make this kind of interactive at the end of my preaching today is to send me questions about what I'm preaching on. Now, taunts masquerading as questions. <laughs> Dude, don't you know the Eagles are going to wipe the floor with the Giants later today? Will not be acknowledged or answered. So we're going to see how this works. So you can keep your phones on, text me messages throughout when I'm preaching today, and we'll see how it goes. Got it? Cool. So let me tell you, I love my calling. I love this practice of ministry, but like all jobs, like all professions, I have pet peeves that are associated with it. I won't share all of them with you, but today I want to share five of them with you. The first is this, in-flight conversations. Do I tell people that I'm a minister or not? Because I'm going to get one of two responses, either the cold shoulder or a life story. I had a colleague once who said that she took to answering this question with the answer, I'm an elephant trainer, <laughs> rather than getting the cold shoulder or the life story when she let people know she was a minister. Pet peeve number two, and this specifically has to do with our tradition. The name Unitarian Universalist. We need a better name for this faith tradition. It is a mouthful, it is confusing, and it leads to pet peeve number three directly. Oh, you guys are the Moonies, the Unification Church, right? I've heard that more than a few times. Pet peeve number four study. A few years ago, that was revealed that Unitarian Universalist youth, adolescents, had the highest average SAT score of any American denomination. Now, the study didn't bother me. I wonder why they study such things. But it was the response of some of our, shall we say, co-religionists that bothered me, including the one person who wanted to make this the centerpiece of our national campaign. Come join us, our kids are smarter than yours. <laughs> Pet peeve still sticks in my craw all these years later. But number five, folks, I have to tell you, number five is my single biggest pet peeve in my practice of Unitarian Universalist ministry. And if you said this, I forgive you, but please know... <clears throat> The sentence goes like this, I'm a Unitarian Universalist because we can believe anything we want to. No, folks, 
we can't. We cannot believe that one scripture, one Bible exhausts all wisdom. We cannot believe that GLBT people are, in the words of the past prior pope, objectively disordered, inherently sinful. And we cannot believe, the classical, as the classical universalist teaching tells us, we cannot believe that a God of love would damn any part of creation to hellfire for all eternity. Those are just a few things we cannot believe as Unitarian Universalists. So it's proper to say that, yes, there are many things we can believe as Unitarian Universalists. There are many sources and resources from which we can draw inspiration. And that is so not the point of this tradition. I do want to say that thinking theologically is important. I do want to say that beliefs matter. Beliefs can be like a beacon calling us back to the orientation of our hearts and our souls when we find ourselves lost and adrift. One of the most heartening things that I have heard from members of this congregation over the year is that, over the years, excuse me, is that sometimes when we're struggling deeply, as some of you have told me, you go to our website and you reread our core beliefs and they remind you once again that there is hope in this world and hope in your hearts. This message series, So Good Seeds, is animated by one of those core beliefs that each of us, each of you, each and every one of us have the capacity for new life and transformation within us, just in the same way the caterpillar in the chrysalis transforms into the butterfly. And we are called to be good gardeners of the soul, just as the good gardener creates the right conditions for the garden and the plants to grow, so we are called to create the right conditions for our own spiritual growth. Beliefs matter. But if beliefs really could have saved us, they would have already. You maybe have heard me quote from a Zen master, one of my most beloved quotes, when they were asked, what do you believe? And the quick response was, as little as is necessary. <laughs> and when I say saved us, I'm not talking about an otherworldly saving. I'm talking about saving from the things that bedevil our hearts, that cause us harm. I'm talking about saving us from despair saving us from rampant ego, saving us from our capacity for cruelty. If beliefs alone could have saved us from these things, they already would have. Religion has been in the belief business for a very long time. So beliefs, I believe, and I'm aware of that paradox, are not the most important part of the spiritual life. A colleague a long time ago that I heard preach put it this way. She said, in our tradition, there are so many sources we can draw from. But just drawing from the sources is not the most important thing. She quoted the beautiful, mystical poet Rumi. His amazing words, there are a thousand ways to kneel and kiss the ground. A thousand ways to kneel and kiss the ground to express our devotion. 
She said focusing on the thousand ways is not the point. <laughs> Finding our way. And then kneeling and kissing the ground. That is what matters. This is why I am a Unitarian Universalist. Because the great gift and the even better news of our tradition is this, that bigger than any belief, single belief, is the call to grow the soul, to cultivate our spiritual character so that our inner hearts and our outer acts help to make our lives the living embodiment of this sacred spark that symbolizes that divine light within each and every one of us. So that our lives can be a living embodiment of the kindness, the hope, the grace, the love that we know invite our lives to thrive. This belief, or rather this commitment, is grounded in what is one of my most important sources in our tradition. It's from William Ellery Channing, who's the first president of the American Unitarian Association begun in 1825, he preached a sermon in the 1800s that was simply called likeness to God. Likeness to God. This was a radical statement, and in some places still is. Likeness to God in distinction from those who said we were born irreparably broken. We were born inherently sinful. He said, no. We were born with the likeness to God, likeness to the center of this universe itself, and he said what we do with that likeness matters. To the extent that we develop it, practice it, cultivate it, we grow into that likeness of that original source that is our birthright, but to the extent that we do not, those original bright capacities of the mind lay dormant. I mean, this message is not exclusive to our tradition. Micah, the great prophet of justice in the Hebrew Scriptures, when asked or answering a question, what does the Lord require of you? Answered pretty simply, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Classical virtues, justice, kindness, humility. A friend of mine reminded me this past week, they're reading through all the chapters of the Bhagavad Gita, the sacred scriptures of the Hindu tradition. And it's a long list. I'm not going to read it all to you. But they identify in the Bhagavad Gita with what they call the transcendental qualities, forgiveness, serenity, modesty, nonviolence, and with what they call very pointedly the demonic qualities. I don't believe in actual demons, although I may see a few and we may see a few wandering around this week. But the demonic qualities, those that destroy the heart and the mind, ours and others, harshness, conceitedness, arrogance. Thich Nhat Hanh, who we quote every week here at Wellsprings, says that we are born with seeds of love or seeds of hate, seeds of understanding or seeds of ignorance, seeds of compassion or seeds of indifference. The gospel said it this way, by our fruits, we will know us. This is the traditional UU teaching of what's called salvation by character. And by salvation, I mean our capacity for human wholeness, for healing, and for hope. This good news cannot be told to anyone else. You cannot tell anyone else your wholeness. 
you cannot tell anyone else, and I cannot tell anyone else of my spiritual character. But there's better news. We can share and we can show the fruits of our spiritual character. I mean, there's a lot of things I believe. I believe we are all loved. I believe we are all accepted and acceptable. I believe we are all children of God, of this universe. I believe we all have Buddha nature. But all those beliefs are not worth much until we actually live them out and to integrate these beliefs into our lives in the form of virtue, to make manifest that love, to make manifest that belonging, to make real these qualities, these beliefs, these beacons that can call us home. This is the great good news of this tradition, that we are called to cultivate our spiritual character day after day after day in this life, and through this, come into full bloom of our being alive. There are a number of different ways that teachers and traditions have talked about cultivating spiritual character. I think of them in the category of three C's, comprehension, construction, and cultivation. The first of these, comprehension, is about understanding, knowledge, study, all good things. And yet, comprehension is incomplete to constituting our spiritual character, specifically because of that number four pet peeve that I share at the top of the message today. So what if our youth have the highest SAT scores? That doesn't have any ethical or spiritual import. If we've ever struggled with an addiction or a compulsion or behavior that we did in spite of our own best understanding, we might recognize these words of Paul to the Romans in the Christian scriptures. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Understanding is not enough to cultivate spiritual character. And if you're not convinced by Paul to the Romans and the Christian scriptures, I want to quote Mick Jagger for you. <laughs> Mick Jagger, who it is said when he heard that Keith Richards wrote a book, said, how can a man write a book who's never read one? <laughs> now, I'm not going to quote the wit and wisdom of Keith Richards because he would be an example of the good that he knows he did not do. But here's the thing, I know so many people who are not knowledgeable in the ways of book learning and yet are so deeply wise. Comprehension is not enough to grow our spiritual character. Second might be said to be construction, a metaphor and image of building. Building year after year after year after year into the sky, the tower of our spiritual character. We're told, right? Yes, that suffering, what does what? Builds character. I hope you really don't believe this. I have seen some people for whom they're suffering. Yes, they can make of it a tremendous and deep and rich character for compassion 
But I have seen just as many people, on the other hand, whose lives have been destroyed and deformed because of suffering. Suffering does not build character. We had for many years in Unitarian Universalism a, a, a curriculum, an adult faith curriculum, adult religious education curriculum called Building Your Own Theology. It was very good for its time. There are parts of it that we've adapted here at Wellsprings to something that we call listening to our lives. Building your own theology makes it solely an individual pursuit. We all have the right of conscience respected here. That is a given in a Unitarian Universalist congregation. But building your own theology leaves that theology incomplete. All wisdom comes from the common stock of our human experience. I love when Jesus said, the kingdom of God is inside of you. But you know what that means? It's not just inside of you. <laughs> it is inside of all of us. When I think of the limits of the construction metaphor for what it is to build our spiritual character over life, I think of this image, this beautiful old church building in Manhattan surrounded by these faceless, awful skyscrapers. We don't build our lives individually. The environment, the context in which we grow matters, which is why I think the final and third C is what really makes the difference in growing and developing our spiritual character. Cultivation. Growing the good seeds that we already are, that our tradition says we were born with, that yearning for the good, growing into the good is our natural state. It doesn't make it so <laughs> that we will naturally develop our spiritual character. It just means that it's here within us. That's why our action is so important. The garden wants to grow. The seeds want to grow. And then it's up to us. Are we sowing good seeds? I love that the prophet Jeremiah in the Hebrew Scriptures says, break up the fallow ground of your heart. If you've done this work, you know that sometimes that fallow ground is also rocky ground, that there's hurt in there. There's the need for healing in there. There's probably some weeds in there as well, too. And if you're a good actual hand-in-the-dirt gardener, you know you can kill all the weeds immediately if you want to. You'll probably take out a few plants and a number of seeds as well. To be a good gardener of the soul to commit to the cultivation of our natural capacity for spiritual character takes time and diligence and working that sometimes rocky, stony, and lovely ground of the heart and recognizing that it's not just up, 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 like we're building a building. It is down and in, and sometimes, yes, we have to get our hands dirty, not because the dirt is bad, but just because that's the place from which we unearth all the richness of our lives. 
A cultivation metaphor for our character says that there are times and seasons in our life. The garden just is keep growing and growing and growing and growing. There are the fallow periods. There are the planting periods. There are the harvest periods. There are the periods of careful cultivation in which we may not see the seed buried below the ground. But yes, we have to in this way hopefully believe and then behave as if our actions are helping to produce that wisdom that is within us even if we're not quite seeing the fruits yet. This is why having a regular spiritual practice is one of the core values of Wellsprings. Because the great good news of our natural capacity to grow is really, truly nothing if we're not also taking our hands to that task. If we're not taking seriously that we can be good gardeners of the soul. I want to bring one of these opportunities for spiritual practice to your attention right now. This will be the seventh year we are doing this here at Wellsprings, unbelievably. And it's going to be a very different thing this year. This is why it's wonderful to have interns. Because <laughs> interns can take your boredom with what you've been doing for a while and say, hey, have you thought about it this way? Damn, it's feel good to feel that, that way. And so it's a new thing we're doing this year. It starts this coming Friday. 30 Days of Gratitude is about one of the core spiritual practices of cultivation. Practicing appreciation for our lives. Life can slip by us unnoticed, unrecognized so easily unless we take the time to practice appreciation and practice gratitude, not just for all the gifts we've been given and all the gifts that we have to give, but to honor the gift that we are in the first place. To practice the arts of awakening, not have arguments about beliefs, to practice the arts of awakening, that's powerful spirituality. That gives back to the world that which is already the world's because it implanted in us in the first place. Not debating over what do you believe. Talking about it, digging into it, but learning to go deeper than that question, what do you believe? And instead asking this question, which might feel far more scary to us. And if it is, then we know we're digging into the earth. Who do you yearn to be? What seeds are you planting today? How are you a good gardener of your soul's treasure? These are the cultivating questions that will grow the soul. And now let me see what text messages I might have. You can still send them in. Ooh, I love this one. How do you explain Unitarian Universalist faith in one sentence? <laughs> well, before I answer that with my actual one sentence, I want to tell you that this is why we do have core values and core beliefs at Wellsprings, is to help you answer that question. There is clarity here. 
There's a reason why I can mention words like God, Spirit, and faith so regularly, and in some of you congregations, if you do that, folks are going to get very allergic. It's part of our DNA. It's part of our core values and core beliefs, and we claim the right to say these are our words as well. These are not the religious rights words. These are our words of our tradition, the freedom to be able to give our meaning to and to take meaning from. Now, how do I answer? Sorry, it's two sentences, but they're very brief. (laughs) I quote from someone far wiser than myself, our great spiritual ancestor, Ralph Waldo Emerson. 1838 speak, a little archaic, but you'll get it. God speaketh, not spake. You want it one sentence is this. Revelation is unsealed. In our core beliefs, we put it as the burning bush is blazing everywhere. For all our hurts, for all our hang-ups, for all our habits... <laughs> The universe is not done with us yet. This is the great good news of our tradition, that we are not done growing, not done producing wisdom. This, and I know that's several sentences, but that's how I begin my explanation of Unitarian Universalism. The burning bush is blazing everywhere. Revelation is unsealed. God speaketh, not spake. We are here in this present tense right now. And because of that, we have the opportunity to grow deeply. Hope that helps. Okay, here's a statement. This is not a question, but I'm not going to disagree with it. Wellsprings is like miracle grow for the soul. <laughs> Another question. Hmm. Let me see if I can understand this one. There's a lot in here. Do we need to be on a path of figuring out what we believe in order to grow spiritually, or can we simply be doing one or the other? Hmm. I'm a big believer in both and, not either or, just as a general philosophy of life. So what I'd say, if we're struggling to figure out what we believe is that actually what we're doing is we're taking that time to get into the soil of our lives. One of the things I love is that we have a, I I love it because there's an opportunity, but it begins in a misunderstanding. Many people believe about belief in this society that belief means I believe X or I disbelieve Y. But from the Hindu tradition, we get a very different understanding of belief and faith. Their word for it is sradha. And it's literally translated as what you set your hearts upon. That's the kind of belief that I think matters. Because again, there's an action, there's a verb associated with it. It's not just I believe this and I'm saved. Or I believe this and you're damned. (laughs) To take the time to cultivate what it is that we believe is necessarily to grow spiritually. It also doesn't mean that it's set in stone for all time. It means that we're getting in touch with the things that we trust to help us live. And I don't think there is any more important question than that. It's also this question. What guides you to help you grow? Start to answer that question, and you will be growing spiritually.
And with that, text message is concluded. Let's pray together. Gracious and original good gardener, may we perceive our lives as the seed and the hands and the hearts and the hopes that bring that seed to fullness. May we recognize the abundance into which we have already been born and not scatter that seed upon rocky ground where it cannot grow, but instead intentionally, deliberately share that seed and sow that seed into fertile soil with friendly hands and hopeful hearts so that our lives our very existence will bring forth the bloom and blossom of the fullness of our being. Amen.